Hey everybody, welcome and good morning to Christ Community Chapel. Welcome those of you over in East Hall, those of you tuning in, uh, really glad you're here. Uh, last weekend I introduced our theme for the year, and our theme for the year is simply transformed in 2018, transformed. The Bible makes a remarkable claim, and that claim is you can change. You can change. Actually, the Bible makes three remarkable claims. You can know God personally, you can change radically, and then God can use you to change the world. And those are in that order in Christianity. You mix up the order, you have something other than Christianity. So we're going to spend the next three weeks going through each one of those claims. This week, we're going to talk about how you can know God. Next week, how you can change and then the third week, how God can use you to change the world. If you want to prepare for next week, I'll give you an assignment. If you're in our database, it means you're going to get an email, uh, hopefully today, which will have a link to something we're calling Next Step Assessment. Your Next Steps Assessment will be uh, 25 questions about your spiritual life that you answer. And then you will receive back kind of a personal plan of next steps based on where you feel like you are spiritually and what we have to offer here at the Hudson campus for you. Right, we feel like it will be a great um, possibility for you, plan for you to grow. You don't have to do it, but we wanted to give you a plan uh, to try to get you from where you feel like you are to where you might want to be. Because no one drifts into good change. You're going to be a different person in December than you are now. But the only way for that to be a good change is if you have a plan. Like if you want to be in better physical condition in December than you are right now, you better have a plan. You're not going to drift there. If you drift, you're going to end up eating Cheetos and watching TV. Right? So uh, I think it's going to be a great thing. We put a lot of work into it. Uh, it's very cool. So look for that. You'll hear more about it at the end of the service. But first, we're going to look at uh, you can know God personally. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm also going to put it up on the screen. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. This is what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not at your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is God's Word, and it's true. Boy, I love those 10 verses. Uh, I love them because in those 10 verses, you have all three of the claims. You can know God, you can change, 
and then God can use you to change the world. One of the things I love about having a theme for the year is that it changes the way I see the Bible. Every year I read the Bible uh, from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, and I don't, I don't do it just because I'm a pastor. Uh, I do it because I got in a habit of it a long, long time ago. I uh, read the Bible from cover to cover probably for the first time when I was about 13 or 14. And I didn't do it because I was some kind of Bible prodigy. I was as interested in other things as any 13 or 14 year old. But our church would give out this uh, reading schedule and it had little boxes by every day. And if you, if you read the four chapters or so for that day, you checked off that box. And if you read the whole Bible, you would have 365 boxes checked. And I loved checking boxes. <laughs> so I might have read the Bible for the wrong reason, but when you eat healthy food for the wrong reason, it still has some benefits. And I just tell you that because you can do it. You can read the Bible through in a year if you want to. But the three points that I want to make today about knowing God is, first, there's the problem of knowing God. Second, the solution to knowing God. And third, how you know you know God. Okay, the problem, the solution, and how you know you know. All right, first, the problem with knowing God. The first three verses, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. What he says is that our problem is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. This is really important because Christianity doesn't teach that you are spiritually sick and you can do some stuff to get better. Christianity doesn't teach that you're spiritually sick and if you just are a bit of a better person, if you come to church more, if you pray a little bit more, if you read the Bible a little bit more, then you'll be healthy. The Bible teaches that you are dead spiritually. And what that means is that like, if you're dead physically, that means you are unresponsive to physical stimuli. Somebody tries to stimulate you physically, they will have no response if you are dead physically. Same thing's true if you're dead spiritually. You are dead to any kind of spiritual stimuli, which is why John, when he be begins his gospel, says this really curious thing. You know, John is talking about Jesus coming into the world. It's a powerful thing when Jesus comes in. He calls him kind of the light of the world, and this is the way he describes it. The true light meaning Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own people did not receive him. That says that Jesus comes into the world, and the people who should have known him didn't recognize him. That seemed wild. Don't you think you'd recognize Jesus? If Jesus came into your school or into your place of work or into your neighborhood, don't you think people would all recognize? Now, I don't mean the bearded robe Jesus. That would be weird. I mean just somebody who was like Jesus, who had his goodness, his grace, his compassion, his love, his wisdom, his teaching, his righteousness, his holiness. Don't you think people would go, oh my goodness, there's somebody who can connect us with God. But no. No, they wouldn't. 
because they didn't when Jesus came. And the reason they didn't is because Jesus was like pure spiritual stimuli, and they were spiritually dead, and so they didn't recognize it. Same thing happens when people try to read the Bible, by the way. I mean, before someone comes alive spiritually, they'll tell me, I, I was trying to read the Bible, it just didn't make any sense to me. The more spiritually alive you are, the more the Bible will make sense to you. But Scripture says we're spiritually dead. Look at verse 3. It says this, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That word passions is the Greek word epithumia. Thumia is the Greek word meaning desire. Epi is the Greek prefix meaning over. So epithumia is an over-desire, uh, uh, an insatiable desire. Uh, it's the, this is the language of addiction. Last week, when I was trying to tell you why every human being wants to change something about themselves, I told you the reason is that you were made in the image of God. Right? You were made to be great. You were made to be wonderful. You were made to feel beautiful, to feel worthy, to be not just loved but lovable. And then I said, but, but something has happened and, and you no longer feel that. You don't reflect His image because something is broken. And I held my hands like this. And the, the, the thing that's misleading about holding my hands like this of what you were created to be and what you are is that no matter how far I hold my hands, it still seems like it might be doable. Like you might be able to climb up to where you were intended to be. So let me give you a different image. I don't know if you've ever seen the moon look like this. But if you do, when you're walking at night or something, you're driving your car, and all of a sudden you see the moon, you just go, oh my goodness. The moon is glorious. It's beautiful. And if you're walking with somebody, you just want to stop and take it in because it, it fills you with awe. Question, what makes the moon look like that? What makes the moon shine like that? It's the sun. The moon has no light in itself. The moon reflects the light of the sun because the moon was created to orbit around the sun. And the moon is at its very best, at its most glorious, when it is reflecting the maximum amount of the sun's light as it can. If you take the moon away from the sun and set it by itself, it becomes a cold, dark piece of rock with no glory, with no beauty. What Scripture says is that as a human being, you were created to orbit around God. And when you're orbiting around God, that means His glory becomes your glory. His beauty, your beauty. His goodness, your goodness. And you are at your very best when you are reflecting the maximum amount of God's glory. But the Bible says what happened is that we said, I don't want to be a moon. I don't want to be a moon orbiting around God. And we pulled ourselves out and we said, I want to be this, my own sun. And I want things to orbit around me. So we pull ourselves away from God. And then we become what we all call being self-centered. And every human being is self-centered. Right? And the problem is we have no light in ourselves. We have no glory of ourselves. So we are desperate. We are ravenous for glory, which is where epithumias come in. 
over desires and we try to use our work or success or money or our family or our children or something to reflect on us to make us feel like we have some kind of worth, some kind of beauty, some kind of goodness within ourselves. We end up being curved in on ourselves. I've been reading a book about Martin Luther because this is the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. Martin Luther had a Latin phrase where he described what human beings are like. He called it incurvitus in se. Incurvitus in se. And this is what he meant by it. This is his sentence to describe it. He says, Our nature is so deeply curved in on itself that it wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. What Martin Luther says is we are so self-centered that we don't want to orbit around God. We'll try to get God to orbit around us, which is what we do all the time. Because people will say, you know what, I, I, would, I would love to have God in my life because there are times when I need Him. And then when God doesn't give you the job that you desperately need, or God doesn't fix your family or your marriage the way you desperately want Him to fix it, or God doesn't heal the person that you love, because you desperately want him to heal that person, you take God and you go, what good is he? And you throw him away because you were never orbiting around him. You were just trying to get the God of the universe orbiting around you because you are, have made yourself your own son. But you are a moon separated from the sun, which means you are cold and dark and spiritually dead. That's what Scripture says. But what Scripture says, too, is that you can have a relationship with God, that you can return to this orbit around God and begin to feel and experience what you were created to experience. But the question is, how? What's the solution to knowing God? Well, it has to be a radical solution because the ability to be self-centered is unbelievably strong. I'll just take church. Right, so you come to church, and you come to church to say, for one hour, I'm going ro- to orbit around God. It's just going to be about God. One hour, I'm just going to be all about God. And that works until you, you can't find a parking space. <laughs> and then you, you come in, and you're already mad, and you're going, man, I can't believe this. And then you crowd in, you can't find a seat, or you're, the music isn't what you want. And, it, and you just, you're, all of a sudden, it's all about you. We have an amazing capacity to make things about us and not about God because we have this, something is deeply wrong inside of our hearts and we have this mechanism in our hearts too that we can use almost anything for fuel for our egos. This did not happen to me, but it could have. I, I read the story where a guy pulled up to a stoplight and uh, he was sitting there just thinking and a car pulled up to his right and it was kind of a rust bucket car. It wasn't nearly as nice as his car. And he looked over at the guy driving, and he thought to himself, he must not work as hard as I do. And then right then, a guy pulled up to his left with a much, much nicer car than he drove. And he looked over to the guy on his left, and he thought to himself, that guy must be a materialist. Right? <laughs> you can use anything. It doesn't matter what it is. You can, you can use it for fuel for your ego. And we need something to go inside of our hearts and actually flip a switch and change that mechanism. And that magic elixir is grace. And this is what, how Paul describes it. 
Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Grace is something you don't deserve, but is given to you. And it can work like magic. You know, we've all heard the stories or seen the movies where there's a, a princess who is in some kind of comatose state and the, her Prince Charming comes and he's, he's got with him some magic elixir and he opens the bottle and he, he drips one precious drop on her lips and bang, she comes alive. That's the way grace works. And whether you realize it or not, you've probably experienced something like it. If you have Love someone and had some kind of break in that relationship, even if it's just for a few moments. I remember when, I, when Karen and I were first married, uh, we would get into some strong arguments because I, am, I was terrible at fighting. Not, and when I say terrible at fighting, I don't mean I wasn't good at it. I was really good at it. <laughs> right? But my idea about fighting was do you fight to win? You don't fight to solve things. You fight to win, so that's the way I would fight with Karen. And I remember after one fight, just feeling like, you know what? Things are never going to be the same. Things are never going to be healed between us. And then when I would go to Karen and say to her, Listen, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And then she would offer that forgiveness, right? There'd be like a drop of grace, and it was amazing how quickly, how uh, amazing it would be where we would come together and it would be healed. I don't even know how it works. You don't know how grace works. You just know that it does, that when forgiveness is given, that there's something that happens that brings you together. And that's a single drop of grace. But Jesus offers this this pure grace, and he doesn't give it by the dropper full. He gives it abundantly. He flows out grace. What Paul said, he is rich in mercy, and it cascades down on you. And grace is one of the only things that we, we cannot twist to orbit around us. We cannot, we cannot make it into fuel for our egos. In fact, it does something, it does damage to our egos. Real grace. I remember years ago when I was younger and dumber and stronger, I tried to deliver uh, my own refrigerator to my house to save money. So I uh, borrowed a van and I put the refrigerator in the van, drove to my house, drove it to the ba my backyard, and then, because it was close to my kitchen, wrestled the refrigerator out into my kitchen, got back in the van and started to pull out. Now, we were living in Florida at the time, which meant our backyard was mostly sand, and the tires spun, and... I started to get stuck. And so I did what I learned to do up here in the north. I tried to rock it out, going reverse and drive, reverse and drive. And I just rocked it deeper and deeper, right, till you could hardly see the tires. And my neighbor came out, and he was watching me for a while. And then my neighbor said, hey, Joe, need some help? Men, what did I say? <laughs> right? No, thanks. I got this. I got it. Why would I do that? Because I knew that I need help. I knew it wasn't, I wasn't able to do it, but I knew that if he did it for me, there was something that was going to happen inside of me I didn't want to have happen. But he came anyway. 
And he uh, hooked a chain up to the front axle. He pulled me out. That's grace. You know, people will tell me every once in a while, I think every religion is the same. It's just not true. Every other religion teaches I dig my own van out. Every other religion says that you'd be a good person, you'd do good things. But being a good person and doing good things won't change my orbit. In fact, if I'm a good person and I do good things, it'll just make me stronger, thinking that people should, things should orbit around me, that I deserve certain things. It's only grace that has the power to actually change the orbit of my life catapult me back to God. And it's the grace of Jesus that is offered to me, not by the dropper full, it's offered to you, not by the drop, but by the bucket load, if you receive it. That brings me to the third point. How do you know you know God? How do you know you know God? And this is really important, because there ought to be a way that you know that it's happened to you. I heard the illustration this illustration that um, if you went on vacation and I took a fully grown, living, breathing African elephant and I put it into your house or into your apartment and it stayed there for your week of vacation, when you got back from your week of vacation, you could tell. <laughs> right? And your family, your friends would come over and they would just go, what happened? Because you could tell that something amazingly powerful had been in your house that week. What Scripture says is that when you understand your need for grace, when you finally say, God, just like a relationship that is broken, you go to God and you say, God, will you forgive me for separating myself from you, for trying to be my own son, for trying to make everything about me? Will you forgive me? And you receive the grace and the forgiveness of God that God himself comes inside of you to live inside of you. And if an African elephant is so powerful that if he lived in your house for a week, everyone could tell, how much more impossible should it be that the God of the universe would come into your life to stay and no one could tell? No one could tell. Now, if if you have to try to convince someone that you are a follower of Jesus, it must seem as ridiculous to them as if you had to try to convince somebody that an African elephant had been living in your house for a week and didn't leave a mark. There is something about being a follower of Jesus, having grace come into your life that has got to change us. And this is how you know. I'm going to give you three things, and I'm just going to kind of glance on them because we're going to unpack them more uh, next week and in the weeks to come. But I'm going to give you kind of three directions, and these three changes should echo into every aspect of your life. And this is how you know that you have really come into a relationship with God and you know Him. First, there's a humility toward you. That's this direction. There is compassion toward others. That's a horizontal direction. And then there's a love for God, which is a vertical direction. Humility, compassion, love. First, humility. This is what Scripture says in verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, 
not a result of work so that no one may boast. Grace puts an end to boasting. I mean, if you really understand grace, you realize, you know what, you quit boasting about being a good person. When, when the, the guy, my neighbor, Bob, pulled me out of, you know, pulled the van out, I couldn't go into my house and boast about it. Like Karen would say, hey, how'd you get the van out? I, did, I couldn't say, honey, <laughs> use my noggin, you know, or, you know, just use brute strength. What I had to say is, Bob pulled me out. He pulled me out. There's no boasting in that. When you really understand grace, you don't boast about what a good person you are. Right? And one of the ways that you know this humility, the, the opposite of humility is pride. And the way you know that uh, grace has not really worked its way in your life is that you'll have more pride. And one of the best ways to really know whether you are struggling with pride is how easily your, your feelings get hurt, get hurt. I remember hearing um, Tim Keller say this, and it just made sense to me. He said, you don't really, nobody really hurts your feelings. People hurt your pride. That's what happens. And it's like, um, and pride does to your ego, kind of it, it puffs up your ego, not, not with air, but like with an infection. So your, your ego gets infected the more pride you have. So if, if, you're, um, if you have an infection on your elbow, it gets very, very sensitive. If your elbow is fine, and you're out in the atrium, and somebody brushes up against you, you won't even feel them. But if your elbow is infected and it's all puffy and somebody brushes up against you, you'll go, ow, what are you doing? Why don't you watch where you're going, right? That's what happens when you get your feelings hurt, right? And if you're a person that gets your feelings hurt like every day or every other day or somebody disrespects you or you get angry about this and about that, chances are humility has not worked its way through your life. And you need to go back to grace and remind yourself about grace and let grace heal the infection that is set in on your ego that has caused such pride. That's the first thing. Second thing is compassion toward others. Compassion is to feel what somebody else feels. It's to relate to them, to identify with them. What Scripture says is that every single one of us was separated from God. Every single one of us said, I want to be my own son. And we became this cold, dark rock where we were dead spiritually. And God, by His grace, took us and put us back into orbit around Him. And now we can feel the warmth of His love and we can reflect something of His glory. And we feel that and we understand that. But that means that every single person that is a still just a moon, just a, a, a cold, dead piece of rock that has lost its orbit with God and is trying to fill themselves. They have this, this ravenous desire for glory, so they're trying to fill themselves up with all kinds of over-desires, whatever. When I see them, what do I see? I should see myself. I should identify and go, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be a moon, to be separated from God. And it, was, it wasn't me that did it. It was God that brought me into an orbit with Him. One of the things that will happen is you'll quit being so judgmental about other people. And you'll start identifying with everyone because you are them. You were them. But God, who is rich in mercy, brought you to himself. And then the final thing is love for God. Love for God. And what I mean by that is that you will, if you know God, then you will develop a spiritual sensitivity to spiritual stimuli that you didn't have before. 
Like you'll go out on a starry night, and instead of just looking for shooting stars, there's something inside of you that will worship, that you'll go, oh, God, what beauty you have created. Because Scripture says that the, the heavens declare the glory of God, and it does that all the time for everyone, but it's only people with a spiritual sensitivity to spiritual stimuli that see it, that understand it. That'll be you. You'll begin to read the Bible, not to check a box, but because you'll want to know Him. Because the more you love Him, the more you'll want to know Him. The more you know Him, the more you will love Him. The Bible says, makes three remarkable claims. You can know God personally. You can change radically, and then God can use you to change the world. The question, the first question is, do you know him? Are you sure that you know him? Have you allowed that grace, just like a relationship with somebody that is broken, where you go to him and say, will you forgive me? And have you felt the grace of God through Jesus pour out on you so that it changes your very orbit of your life? And you begin to circle around God instead of trying to get God and everything else to circle around you. This could be your year. In December, we want all of us to know God better and to love Him more deeply than we do right now. Because this year is transformed in 2018. All right, would you pray with me? God in heaven, we come to you and uh, we thank you that you are a God that did not leave us when we left you, but you uh, sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we could receive grace upon grace and be pulled back to yourself. I pray that every single one of us will recognize our need for you, will ask for your forgiveness, will receive your grace, and will understand what it means to really know you, love you, and be loved by you. Thank you. Thanks for Jesus. We pray this in his blessed name. Amen.